This is a question for those of us who come here most weeks. Do you ever wonder what we're doing when we baptise kids here? You know how, like, most often we see them for that sort and we never ever see them again. We don't know what the kids are doing or what's happening. And we ask them a series of questions about whether they're willing to bring up their child uh, in the faith of the church and whether they're willing to um, help that child to discover faith for themselves. And then we don't see them again. Sometimes that not quite sure why we're doing it. All right, just park that for a moment. Because I think it's got something to do with this text that we just read. This strange text about a guy called Joseph who disappears after this. We never hear about him again. When he discovers that Mary is pregnant, that's kind of a big deal. It's a big deal if anybody is pregnant. I've been participating in two pregnancies and for most of the nine months I was freaked out completely both times. And then when the baby was born I was even more freaked out. And it's taken me nearly 40 years and I'm still kind of freaked out about being a parent but I've sort of gotten used to it. It's a big deal. But here is a really big deal. To be pregnant and not to be married in this culture, it's very difficult for us to understand the shame and the destructiveness of that experience. It would be not unlike discovering that somebody in your family has been convicted and imprisoned for pedophilia. Like that's the no-go area in our culture. We don't know how to deal with it. I worked for a time in a couple of different prisons where I interacted with men who had been imprisoned for child sexual abuse or possessing child pornography. And in nearly every case, as far as I can remember, they had been cut off completely from all family and friends. Like a guillotine come down, boom, and that was it. It is the thing we just don't know what to do with. It would destroy not only that individual's life, not to mention any children they'd been involved in, but their whole family. In fact, I know of people who have moved city or move states when this has been discovered in someone within their family, even if that person is sort of like a second cousin. It's this kind of cataclysmic event that we're dealing with here. It's easy for us to sort of brush over it because you can be unmarried and pregnant today and it might have all kinds of complications about it, but it doesn't destroy not only you, but your whole family. Of course, it wasn't that long ago that we, we weren't far away from that. Um, I know my mother's, uh, my mother had a second cousin who she knew very little about except that the woman had gotten pregnant as a young teenager and then she doesn't know anything else about it. That she just disappeared from the family. So we're not talking that long ago, are we? And some of you may have had similar kinds of experiences. Just destroyed everything. And Joseph is about to do the right thing. He's tr- about to try and salvage whatever he can for his clan and for Mary's by sort of doing some kind of uh, behind-closed-door sort of arrangement whereby only the people who absolutely needed to know could know and things could be separated easily and everything could be organised as best you can, trying to salvage something from the shipwreck of a life. Then, of course, he has this amazing dream. 
that we read about every year or every third year because we we don't get Matthew every year. And he begins to see things completely differently. What if this shipwreck, this cataclysm, this destruction of everything isn't that? What if there's another way of thinking about it? What if the thing that looks like it's going to destroy everything is, if the dream is even halfway right, is actually going to save everything? How how can something that is so terrible, so destructive, with ripples out all over the place, could be switched around? What if it wasn't the end of community for Mary, for Joseph, and who knows how many people in their clan groups? What if it was the beginning of community? Because this baby is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. With us. Now just because Joseph had a dream and the dream said it was from God doesn't mean that Joseph was necessarily going to do as the dream told him. The Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, is full of people who hear from God and then do exactly the opposite or whatever the heck they want. So there's a great tradition of hearing and not obeying. But something different's happening for Joseph. Something is changing in his way of thinking. And this isn't easy. It's not easy to imagine something that has destroyed everything actually being about restoring everything. It's an upside-down view of the world. And, of course, we're plagued with that in the New Testament. It's full of these stories about when things should be one way. Jesus, the apostles, they all talk about it up the other way. The last end up being first. The poor end up being rich. The lost end up being found. It's an upside-down kind of world. But it wouldn't make any sense for Joseph to think this way because, first of all, you don't get too attached to children when they're little. Because in this time and right up through most of the Middle Ages, really up until the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, 50% of children died before they were two. And in many of our families, we've got stories where children have died in our parents' and grandparents' generations. That was just the norm. The idea that everyone would make it through to adulthood was just, just wasn't possible. Today, of course, we live in a, a miraculous world where the reverse is true. If somebody dies in childhood, it's an extraordinary tragedy and an unusual one. But for the time that Joseph and Mary lived, 50% of children wouldn't make it to two years old. And children weren't seen in, in quite the same way we do today since the end of the Victorian era where we kind of have a different view of children. They were, in a sense, proto-adults. They were on their way to becoming useful in the community. They're on their way to be able to do the things that need to be done in order for us all to survive because it's a hand-to-mouth existence. So it would not make sense to do what Joseph starts to begin to do, which is to see this child as different. 
This one, if the dream is true, was blessed by God, was special, was unique, was actually going to be able to do something wonderful in the world. So his entire mindset changes and he does the most extraordinary thing. He goes against all his teaching, all his history, all his culture, all the things that you would do if you were even halfway smart. He embraces Mary and marries her and they have this illegitimate child. Who Joseph, from what we can glean from these tiny few verses treats as if the dream was true that this one would become someone who would do extraordinary things in the world alright well how does this relate to baptism I think it's to do with the first word in Matthew's gospel and the first word in this section because it says the beginning of Jesus and the word that the writer of Matthew's gospel chooses in that word is in that, those two verses is exactly the same word as the Greek writers chose for the very first beginning of the book of Genesis. It's the word Genesis. The Genesis, the beginning of everything. And then we get this incredible story of Genesis, which given the lack of scientific knowledge of the people who wrote it down, it's not far off the truth that we understand. It's not, not too difficult to match this idea of an extraordinary explosion that begins everything with this moment of explosion that the, that the Genesis book tells us about. It's quite interesting. But the first word is Genesis. The first word is beginning. And that was a specific word that this author chose to start his stuff with. The Genesis of Jesus is the same as the Genesis of everything. Because God said in the Genesis story, in the first story, let's make people. Let's make them like us. And let's breathe our essence into them. So when we're baptising kids, we're telling them and their parents, this is not a child like all other children. This is a child unique. This child has been actually created out of nothing by God. That's what Genesis tells us. That's what Matthew is telling us about Jesus. But I think in using that word, it's telling us about all children. So I usually go and see, I always go and see a baptism family once or twice before we baptise their kid. And I tell them what we're going to do. And I tell them they're going to answer some questions. And I tell them what we're going to do in this is we're going to tell this child, whether they're two days old or two years old or whatever, we're going to tell them in this story that they are uniquely chosen by God and made out of nothing by God. That's what we're going to tell them, because that's what we believe. We believe this person is unique, and we're going to have this special little event where we're pouring water on them to, to wake us up to it. Because it's true of all children, but we can just let things go, and we can forget, and we can not, not, not see how extraordinary this moment is. So we're going to do something special. We're going to toss water on the kid, and we're going to parade them up and down the church, and we're going to make everyone look at them, and we're going to see again, as if for the very first time, that here is a creature in whom God dwells. And then I say, well, I don't know what you believe about this. I'm pointing up there because that's where we always do it if you don't come to this church very often. We kind of do it around there. 
I don't know what you believe about. This is what we believe. I don't know why you're coming. Some of you are coming because your mum was baptised here, because your grandfather was married here. That's all great reasons. You might be coming, as a couple told me earlier this year, because they needed to find a church. They weren't quite sure why. This is the first one they could remember because it's pretty hard to miss. So this was good enough. And I said, well, that's great. That's good enough. Come on in. This is what we're going to do. We're going to say this child, just as we say in the Gospel of Matthew, this child who will save us from our sins, which is God with us, God will save us. That's the word, the meaning of Emmanuel. We're going to say the same about this kid. This kid will do something extraordinary and unique in the world because they are filled with the energy of God. You know, I get through that little spiel and some of them look at me and go, okay, how long is this going to take? Not very long. It doesn't take very long. In fact, it doesn't take any time at all. We just, we just acknowledge it. We don't even have to do all the little bits that we do, but you know, we've built these things up over tradition and generations and that's not a bad thing at all. But we don't really need to do any of that. We almost only need to do what they do in the Lion King. Not the new one, that's crap. The old one. Where they hold up the little, what's the Pumba or what's the little guy's name? Simba. They hold up Simba. That's all you need to do to remind us that in this moment, and it turns out, you were a child. Unbelievable, isn't it? You were one of those. And you were made in exactly the same way out of nothing by God. That's the story we tell at Christmas. That's the story we tell at baptism. And you know why we have to keep telling it? First nine days out of ten, I don't believe it. Yeah, I know, as a kid, I've seen the photos. I was quite cute, like everyone else. But I'm not now. It's all a long time ago. I forget it every day. So we've got to do this often. We've got to remind ourselves all the time. We've got to do this story every year to tell us over and over again. Everyone made out of nothing by God. A unique, unrepeatable miracle. That's the genius of the Christmas story. It begins exactly where we all begin. Just a little kid turning up. Changing everything. I still got questions about baptism sometimes, you know, I don't know. But I know what we're doing, and I know what God's doing. And most times, that's enough. Yeah.